Thank you for listening to the Renovation Church podcast. We're a family that believes you matter, and together we can do something that matters. We hope that this podcast aids you in your spiritual journey toward Jesus. If we can serve you on that journey, please let us know by visiting our website, renovationchurch.com. We always love to hear how the ministry of renovation is impacting your life. The best way to let us know is by leaving a review or tagging us on social media. Wherever you are in the world, know that Jesus loves you and we love you. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you for those of you who are fighting through to clap at appropriate times. I appreciate that. If you're not going to let the rain restrain your praise today, can I get a good amen? amen. All right, I got a word for you today, and I hope that, uh, that you will receive it and that it will bless you as it has blessed me and blessed our first gathering already. If you want to follow along in the Bible app event, uh, you can pull up some notes there. Just throw your uh, camera on. Uh, even if it's an Android, it'll work. Just, just wait for it to do what it's supposed to do. Why is this table dancing? Oh, well. It ain't the spirit. You got to test the spirits. This, we're not going to let the Lord have credit for that one. Uh, before we jump in to uh, what could be a bit of a delicate topic, uh, especially in church, I want to remind us of the overarching why uh, for this entire endeavor over these few weeks. And that is that God wants you and me, you and me, free from financial anxiety and worry. And he has a straightforward way for us to be able to do that. He has a straightforward path for us to be able to do that. And it can be summarized in a quote uh, from the late, great John Wesley, which I shared with you at the top of this series, and I want to share with you again now. There we go. I gain all I can without hurting either my soul or my body. I gain all I can without hurting either my soul or my body. I save all I can, not willingly wasting anything, not a sheet of paper, not a cup of water. Yet by giving all I can, I am effectually secured from laying up treasures upon earth. Yea, and I am secured from either desiring or endeavoring it as long as I give all that I can. In his words are a biblically inspired four-part formula that you can find in the book we've been recommending every week, Simple Money, Rich Life. And it's this, uh, save all you can, make all you can, give all you can and enjoy all you can. And in order to get the desires that you want to see, as we said each and every week, if you want to see the desires of your heart and the desires that God has for you, then all four of these parts have to go together. You cannot parse them out. You cannot bifurcate them. You cannot chop them up. You have to work them all together to see the fruit of the effort that God wants to do in and through your life. And when you properly follow this formula and are motivated by the Spirit of God to do so, I promise you that that God will meet you in each one. You see, as taboo as it might sound, as taboo as it might sound on its face, if we are followers of Jesus, and this is what we're talking about today, if we are followers of Yeshua in his way, then what? We all want to make the most we can while making a difference in the world. Yes, amen? We want to make the most that we can. We want to make the most money we can. We want to have the most resources we can while we make a difference in the world, or at least we should want that very thing. Now, just as a disclaimer, there are people who choose to purposefully not make as much as they can. Yours truly, right? <laughs> right? Because, you know, pastoral ministry, unless you're in a certain camp, 
It's not the most lucrative thing in the world, right? And there's other opportunities that we could chase, that, that we could sack a little bread and I might be able to retire early. But here I am doing what the Lord called me to do. And there are people that make that choice. Stay-at-home moms and stay-at-home dads may make that choice to purposefully not make as much as they can. But for the most part, in the context of what God has called us to do, we should be regularly, if not daily, asking ourselves how it is that we are stewarding to the best of our ability the talents and the gifts and the time that God has given us. In fact, uh, I want you to write these down. You can see the parable of the minors in Luke chapter 19, 11 through 27. We don't have time to read all of it, but I want you to go read it. And the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Both of those show that Jesus is inherently interested. Listen to me. Inherently interested in you multiplying what he's placed in your hands. It's right there in the Bible. And yet this topic is a tough one, isn't it? Interestingly, difficult one. It's like money in our culture in general, the very idea of it, what we do with it, what we make. It's a strangely forbidden conversation. And telling people, telling people in church that they should try to make more money, unthinkable. But we're going to do that. We're going to do that today. And I believe that the word of God can guide us in that. And so in all of that, in all of that, be reminded, be reminded, even as we go through this journey together over the next few minutes, be reminded that none of this is about us in the end, right? Be reminded that all of this works together for a greater purpose, not for self-service. Can I get a good amen? amen. Now, listen, y'all here at 11 o'clock. I already slugged it out with the nine. I'm going to need some energy out this room today. I'm going home. All right. You've been here a long time. You know y'all supposed to talk to me. All right. This, this ain't one of them churches. It's one of them churches. Now, you and I, thank you, sir. You and I, at least most of us, I'm going to say this as an assertive. You and I, at least most of us, I believe, want to make more money. We do. And hopefully for the right reasons. And so the question is, if it's universally true that all of us want to make more money, for the most part, we do. What's stopping us? What's stopping us from being able to do that? Well, I believe it's two things. I, I believe, number one, it's a uh, lack of knowledge. And number two, it's a lack of tools on what to do next to actually raise our earning potential. You see, we spent over a decade in primary school learning everything but what we needed to learn to actually make a living in the world. On your next job interview, tell them, I'll find the square root of that triangle for you. Quote Keats and see how far that gets you into the process. Oh, we spent over a decade of our life learning things that weren't actually that useful. I mean, just as an aside, it has me rethinking my children's entire education. And I don't know how that makes you feel, but to understand that I left high school and college not knowing anything about capital gains, taxes. Or moving money into my retirement account right before I do my taxes so that I can save $3,000 in taxes. But had to read Pride and Prejudice, which I love. <laughs> it left me feeling a little trapped. It leaves me feeling a little trapped. 
How do I progress? How do I move forward? And I've heard that, frankly, from many others. I've heard that. They feel feel trapped. They feel trapped in dead-end jobs. They feel trapped in opportunity-less situations. And maybe you do too today. Maybe you do too. You see, every one of us should have been shown, we should have been shown how to maximize our potential. We should have been shown how to make an impact in the world. We should have been shown that, but sadly, we weren't shown it. We were left to independently figure it out on our own. And even saying that breaks my heart just a little bit. Our education system, our parents, our leaders, they did not give us what we needed. But here's the good news. We don't have to remain where we are. We don't have to remain where we are. We don't have to stay stagnant where we are. We don't have to stay trapped and lacking knowledge or know-how. And I remember feeling that way, especially when I was still in the marketplace. Gratefully, God has shown me some things over the years that I've been able to give away. In fact, I've helped, by God's grace, I've helped several men and women find a way to grow their earning capacity and maximize their potential. I won't tell you one story. I'm not going to go into the details because I didn't ask for permission. And for the sake of discretion... I'm not going to share any names, but I do want to tell this story because I think it's powerful. It's about a family in our church. And, and, and one day I got a phone call from, from one of them, and, and they said to me, hey, I've got a challenge. Uh, I've been a part of this company since the beginning. I was employee number one. And the company has taken off. It's exploded. All right? And there's going to be big money on the table soon. They're going to take this thing public. And I don't know what I should do. I don't know what I should do. I feel like... I should be vested in this company, and I feel like since I was employee number one and I literally helped to build this thing, that I should be a part of this payout. What should I do? And I say, well, here's what I want you to do. This is important, maybe the most important piece of this moment. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray first. Okay, can we just have a culture where we pray first? Can we just pray first? If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, try it out. If you are a Christian, try it out. And we just have a culture where we pray first. Pray first and ask God for the right heart, right posture, right words. So you know what I said? Pray first and ask God for the right heart, the right posture, and the right words. And then approach the founders of this company, right? Go to the founders, share your heart and your desires, and straight up share with them the value that you bring to the company because you know what you are worth. Well, they did that. And by God's grace, they've been immensely blessed financially because of it. And since that day, and this is important too, since that day, they have proven God's words. If you are faithful over a little, he will put you over much. Okay, now that's a whole nother sermon in itself. But listen, if you can't take care of this much, God's not going to trust you with this much. And this family in particular has been incredibly generous, giving away thousands of dollars. In fact, they told me they have a goal to give away a million dollars. And I'm like, go ahead with your best. Well, you would say, amen. Praise God. Right? Don't just sit there shell-shocked, like believe that God might do that in you one day. They have a goal to give away a million dollars, and they continue to have an amazing impact in this church and in the kingdom. How? By implementing wisdom, making a plan, seeking the Lord. Implementing wisdom, making a plan, seeking the Lord. Implementing wisdom, making a plan, seeking the Lord. They raise their earning potential higher than maybe they ever imagined they could, especially since their vocational journey in Atlanta began with stocking shelves. So don't you sell yourself short. Today, I want to give you a plan that I truly believe, truly believe, if followed with a heart after God's own. And that's important 
Okay, if you hear these words and your first thought is how it's going to improve your personal circumstances, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. I want to give you a plan that if followed in a way that is after God's own heart, will put you on a path to making more so that you can make a more significant impact in the world. In fact, we can say it this way. God will intervene and instruct you on how to make more to make an impact. But you must be clear on the ultimate goal of making more. And that's serving others. That's serving others. So I just, disclaimer, if you think you're going to put this thing together and at the end of the day it's going to fulfill all of your needs, then you're not listening and that's not the plan. But if the focus is honoring God and serving others, guess what? A lifestyle change will be a byproduct of your generosity. Okay? So that's what we're going to talk about today. If you want to be in a position to make more to make an impact, I've got five things rooted in Scripture. You're going to write them down, all right, that you must be willing to do. Now, if you're old school and you've got a notebook, take notes. If you want to follow along in the Bible app, there will be little blanks for you to fill in. But here's number one. Get the right mindset. Get the right mindset. Get the right mindset. It is critical above all else to understand the why behind the idea of making all you can. I've hinted at it throughout our our time. I've, I've danced around it a little bit, but let me make it plain again for you. It is not about chasing money and lifestyle. It is not about chasing money and lifestyle. It's not. It's not about chasing money and lifestyle. It's got to be about more than that. In making all we can, we are not chasing money for money's sake. Instead, we are seeking to earn more to maximize our impact in the world. Why? For the sake of God's kingdom and for the sake of God's agenda. To see many daughters and sons return home for the sake of God's agenda. To see society transformed so that it more readily reflects the kingdom to come. That is the passion and the desire. Wanting more just to want more is why there are few with much and many with little. It's why we live in a country where some people are trying to make ends meet and other people are sending personal rockets to space just to blow up. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's probably for the best. It can't be about making more just to make more. If we are followers of the way of Yeshua, we don't want to replicate that pattern. And here's the reality. If you want to make more just to make more, God's not going to meet you in that moment. He's not going to meet you there. He's not going to meet you there. Because... Wanting to make more just to make more proves that you have a different master. And money and mammon make terrible masters. In fact, recall Jesus' words. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to mammon. So what does Jesus say? We have a choice. We have a choice between Yahweh, the living God, and mammon. Mammon, by the way, if you don't know, mammon is a principality, a demon that was worshipped in Jesus' time as a god. That's why he says you can't serve one or the other. You can't worship one or the other. 
And the culmination of mammon worship is what? Our worth being shaped by power, being shaped by possessions, being shaped by reach, being shaped by accumulation, being shaped by consumption, being shaped by experiences. That is the fruit of mammon worship. Greed and gain. And so my plea to you today, don't buy into the lie that money is the goal. Don't buy into the lie that money is the goal. Money is not a goal, it's a tool. It's a tool, and that's all it is. Consider also a second danger of wanting to make more, to have more. Money amplifies your character. Money amplifies your character, okay? Author Mike Michaelwitz writes this, money amplifies your character, it's that simple. It allows you to repeat ingrained habits easily, like buying tigers and spending $430 million. It allows you to repeat ingrained habits easily. And unless you develop a strong, humble character coupled with good habits, more and more money will become more and more of a problem. Listen, listen to this. Money has no judgment. Money has no judgment. What money does is allow you to be more of you. (laughs) Right? That's why the most misquoted verse in the Bible, money is the root of all evil. No, 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 no. The love of money is the root of all evil. It is not about the money. Money is just a tool. It's about how your heart responds to the tool. And so if your character's not right, the money is going to show who you really are. So here, again, here's my plea. Please make all that you can. Stack it up. Please do. But do so with the right mindset. Number two, discover and develop your gifts and your calling. Discover and develop your gifts and your calling. The Apostle Paul, writing to the ancient church at Ephesus wrote this for you are saved by grace through faith and this is not from yourselves it is God's gift not from works so that no one can boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do let me tell you what that's saying according to Paul's words here in the scriptures you are a masterpiece designed by God That word workmanship there, again, if you're taking notes, I want you to write workmanship equals masterpiece. That's what the word means. You are a masterpiece designed by a personal God who loves you more than you could possibly imagine. One in seven billion. Not only are you a masterpiece, but you are a masterpiece made for a one-of-a-kind mission. That's why he says that you were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time. You are a masterpiece made for a one-of-a-kind masterpiece mission. You are made to be more, perhaps more than you ever possibly imagined you were made to be. You're made to be more. God gave you good works a unique contribution to the world and a way to be you only as you can be that will impact the world only as he planned for you to do. So don't settle. Don't settle. Don't don't settle for a counterfeit version 
or an imitated variant or a trite vision for your contribution to the world and to God's kingdom. You have something deposited in you that God wants to unlock and let out. Amen. I'm not sitting in the chair today. Come on now. Context clues. Came to preach. God has something inside of you that he wants to unlock and let out. Why are we settling for existing instead of living? He has something just for you. But you have to do the work of discovery. (laughs) And you have to do the work of development. How? I'm going to teach you two things. Number one, if you want to write it down, you want to write it down. Mine, think mine, pickaxe. Mine, the intersection, the intersection of your passion and your pain and your experiences. Mine, the intersection of your passion and your pain and your experiences. And there you will find the seeds of purpose. You will find the seeds of purpose. I assure you, you will. I assure you will. And, and, and if you don't want to do it alone, if you don't want to do it alone, guess what? We have this little thing we call growth track. This little thing, this little old thing called growth track where we take three weeks and personally invest in your journey of self-discovery so that you can find all the unique ways that God has gifted you and called you. Sign up for growth track step two, May 14th. It's going down. Is it Mother's Day? Absolutely. Every mother needs to know her destiny, right? So (laughs) let's discover your gifts and your calling together. This is a necessity. You must discover your gifts and your calling. Why? Because when you do, when you do, it transforms work from a have to to a get to. I love what I do. I love it. There's this little reel going around with people lifting weights and they're like, you do this every day? And they're like, yeah, I do this every day. Why? Because I love it. Right? (laughs) I feel the same way about weight training and preaching, coincidentally. (laughs) I love it. Is it hard? Yes. Loving something doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Get married. You'll learn. (laughs) Loving it doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but loving it turns it from drudgery to joy. It turns it from drudgery to joy. It breeds inspiration. It drives opportunity. You will never, hear me, never make as much as you possibly can slugging it out in something you don't love. It's not going to happen because you're not going to be inspired to do more than the minimum. Okay. Number three. Got to have some fun up here. I've been asking for one of those touchy TVs for like three years. And uh, if y'all could just pray for me, that the person responsible for that would just, just see my heart and my need. I would appreciate that. Number three, invest in your education and skills. Invest in your education and skills. Now, initially, that might not sound particularly biblical. Luckily, as I've learned over these many years, when you read your Bible, you find out that there's a scripture for everything. Much like Frank's Red Hot. It goes on everything. 
Okay? Proverbs 18, 15. An intelligent mind acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Look at that. An intelligent mind acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Here's another translation that I like in New Living Translation. It says, intelligent people are always ready to learn, and their ear is open for knowledge. Okay? Leaders are learners. Leaders are readers. Impact people never put pause on their personal growth. That's what the Bible is saying. It's very plain. That's why I love the Proverbs. You don't have to have Hebrew exegesis to understand what's going on here. Right? They're beautifully plain. If you want to be intelligent in this world, you must always be ready to learn. If you already know it all, you can't learn anything. If you want to be intelligent in this world, you got to be ready to learn. If you already know it all, well, then you've already signed and sealed your doomed life. So, our ears must be open to knowledge. What does that mean? It means that we must actually seek out, seek out and be prepared to receive understanding and knowledge that propel us forward in life and work. We must keep growing and learning and honing our craft. I tell young communicators this all the time. Preaching is an anointing, but preaching is a craft. It's a craft and you need to work on your craft. You need to work on your timing. You need to work on your tone. You need to work on how you use words and when you use words and why you use words. You need to work on helping people understand the intricacies of the Bible in simplicity. And that takes time. And if you're still sounding the same in 20 years as you did when you started, I can tell you that you were depending on an anointing, but you weren't working on your craft. And the same goes for the marketplace. The same goes for, for the marketplace. You have to continue to work and hone your craft, especially once you lock into your gifts and your calling. When we purpose ourselves to learn and grow in our field, guess what? We put ourselves on the path to becoming indispensable. You know what that's like. We put ourselves on the path to becoming indispensable. And when you become essential to an organization or entity, guess what? You put yourself in a position to raise your earning potential. Because once they realize they can't do it without you, they'll do what they got to do to make sure they keep you. Number three, or number four rather, and this is important, maybe the most important, work for the Lord, not for people. Work for the Lord. Now, now listen, that don't mean you can go to work and be disrespectful tomorrow. Tyrone, I told you to turn in them reports. Yeah, but Jesus didn't, so get out of my face. Right? No. That's not what I'm saying. Don't do that. That's how you get fired. And end up at a brook. Right? Don't do that. It's not saying be disrespectful to your earthly employers. Right? It says respect authority. What, what the Bible is saying, and again, this is coming from Paul. He says, in all the work you are doing, work the best you can. That's what it means. In fact, uh, my favorite translation, I don't know why I didn't choose it, I just didn't, uh, means, it, it says, work heartily for the Lord. Heartily. Work as if you were doing it for the Lord, not for people. Remember that you will receive your reward from the Lord, which he promised to his people. You are serving the Lord Christ. You are serving the Lord Christ. Here's the bottom line. Our temptation and our tendency especially when we do not love what we are doing is to do it halfway. 
That's our temptation. That's our tendency. That's quiet quitting. That's the labor shortage that we're experiencing right now. That's the fact that any institution in the world that has a line, the, the weight is triple what it was before. We went to Chicago last year, for the, the staff did for a conference, and, and we went out looking for the famous and delicious Giordano's deep dish pizza. My soul was crying out for it as deep calls out to deep. And we, we arrived at Giordano's and I counted one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven people in here. It's finna be on. And I said to the manager, I'd like a table for four, please. And he said, that's going to be about a 90 minute wait. And I said, excuse me, sir. I don't believe you understand. I've journeyed many miles to feast on your sumptuous fare. And the 90 minute wait is, well, it's just imperceptible to the, to the depth of my hunger in this moment. And he said, I'm sorry. I have one cook in the back and one server. Everybody else called in today. Why? Because unless we have a different catalyst, when we don't love what we do, we do it halfway. We do it halfway. And here's the reality. You got to hear it. You got to receive it. Jesus people should be noticeably different. Jesus people should be notably different. And it is from this understanding that Paul communicates that you ought to be different in every arena of your life, not just with your small group or at Sunday gathering or with your church friends who don't know anything about your weekend persona. You're supposed to be discernibly different in every single arena of your life. In all circumstances, we as God's people are called to work in a way that brings glory to God and produces flourishing for people. That's what you're called to do. And so for that reason, we must do our work, what, wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly, not begrudgingly, wholeheartedly. That word heartily there, it literally translates from your soul, from your soul. So what Paul is saying is work from the seat of your soul as though you are working for Jesus and not for people. Work from the seat of your soul as though you're working for Jesus. And not for people, not for people. And that means that you show up with a good heart and integrity. Do you know that a person like that can flip the culture of a workplace? You can flip the culture. It only takes, read Friedman's book, Failure of Nerve. If you want some free reading, Failure of Nerve by Edwin Friedman. It only takes one change agent to change the culture of a place. Because their non-anxious presence and insistence on a certain path will drive out opposers and invite in agreeers. So you want a different work culture? You want a culture where people don't gossip? Where people don't backstab? Be the change agent. Show up in a way where Jesus is exemplified. And it'll transform everything. More than that, more than that, listen... When you work for Jesus and not just an earthly person, time and stories have proven 
you will be noticed. You will be noticed. And more often than not, you will be promoted. I've seen it happen over and over again. I've seen it happen because even a pagan boss cares about the end result. And if your Jesusness is driving the end result, they're going to push you forward whether they agree with what you believe or not. And then you put yourself in what? You put yourself in a position to raise your earning potential. Number five, cast your bread on the water. Cast your, all right. Cast your bread on the water. Here's your first lesson from this text. That before any hip-hop artist told us to stack our bread, the writer of Ecclesiastes already had it on lock. Right? Because that's what bread means. It means resources. It means resources. It means money. In fact, the writer writes this, cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days. Cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days. And you're thinking, what now? Here's what he's saying. He's talking about risk. He's talking about taking a risk with what you have. Take a risk. That's, that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying. He's encouraging the reader to take wise risk. If you are ever to make a difference in the world, if you are ever to make more to make a difference in the world, guess what? It's going to require some risk. You can't just play it safe. In fact, as I said, when the writer here speaks of casting bread, bread represents resources, specifically in the context of the text, that will be used for overseas trade. It represents resources that will be used for overseas trade. He knows the work before him. He has people to look after. He is well aware, though, that what he is building, what he is multiplying, what he is cultivating, it requires trade, which is risky. You know, I remember well the trepidation I felt when I wrote my first book, like this thing's going to bomb. And when I bought my first stock, and when I made my first larger than I ever had investment in the market, and I was clammy and I was like, oh God, I don't know how all this is going to fall apart. My life's going to be over. But then I also <laughs> remember these words from the word of God. Wise people take wise risk. And so, yes, 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 I prayed. I sought wise counsel. You should always do that. I evaluated the cost. That's what Jesus said, right? Evaluate the cost. You don't go, out, go to war without knowing how many people they got on the other side. I evaluated the cost. But in the end, guess what? I still had to take a risk. I still had to take a risk. And, and when taking a risk, guess what? You don't know how it's going to turn out until it turns out. But the teacher essentially says, listen, I know what it sounds like, but the wise don't play it safe. Why? Number one reason, because truly wise people know that they're not in control anyway. Oh, somebody help me talk today. <laughs> truly wise people know that it is a living God who has time and space in his hands. And therefore... Therefore, they don't have to clamp down and try to control in a panic because they know that God's got them. So wise people, guess what? They can take a risk. The teacher took wise risk for the flourishing of his people. In fact, all people of significant impact have taken wise risk. Can I tell you about a few? Queen Esther, 
took a wise risk going to the king, knowing that he could kill her just for speaking to her, but she, to him, but she took a wise risk to stand up for her people who were facing imminent destruction. Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad Negro went down into the fiery furnace, knowing that by opposing the king of Babylon, they could lose their life forever, but they wouldn't bow down to any God, but Yahweh. And so when they put him in the fire, a fourth man showed up in the fire and it was Jesus and they came out unharmed. Paul took a wise risk when he stood up to the Jews and said, you don't need to be circumcised to follow Jesus. You don't have to become an ethnic Jew to become a son of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He took a wise risk and in modern times, the freedom fighters, many of whom were Christians, took wise risk to stand up against the injustices of the Jim Crow South so that we could be worshiping in this room together right now. You got to take wise risk. If you're going to make an impact in this world, you cannot play it safe. And if you're going to play it safe, then you're never going to maximize, never going to maximize your impact. In fact, let me say it this way. Do not live life as though the goal of life is to arrive safely at death. Do not live life as though the goal of life is to arrive safely at death because guess what? That's not living, that's existing. And God didn't make you, shape you, form you, call you, gift you, deposit purpose in your heart so that you could simply exist. He did that. So that you can live and through living, you could be a transforming agent in this world. Now, as terrifying as some of this might sound, here's my question back to you. What is the cost of non-action? What is the cost of non-action? Well, the cost is far more than maybe you have imagined. And included in that cost is not living the life that God has for us and others. But if you're willing to do these five things, just these five things, and there are actually many more in the book, Simple Money, Rich Life. But if you're willing to do just these five things, you will put yourself on a path to making more so that you can make a greater impact in the world. Now, as we close our time, I want to consider together how we're going to respond to what we've just heard. If you're going to make a difference by making more in the world, it starts with these five principles. And so if you're going to leverage these five principles, then you got to do something about them, right? So here's our call to action. Make a plan and implement it. Make a plan and implement it. Sit down. Evaluate your life. Look at the things that God has given you. Again, mind the intersection of your passion and your pain and your experience. Go through growth track. Ask God to give you the right mindset and then make a plan and implement it. Trust it to the Lord. Listen, trust it to the Lord and then watch for the results. Make a plan, implement it, trust it to the Lord and watch for the results. Watch for the results. 
And if you do it with the right mindset, remembering what? Remembering that our work is to serve others, not ourselves. Then God will meet you in that moment. Listen, creation has been unraveling, says Dr. Tim Keller. Creation has been unraveling. And because of the fall, people are victims of generational systems and poverty and an abuse and abuses. But guess what? We can use money. This is what he says. We can use money to reweave what is unraveling. And that's why he put us on the planet. Now, if you're in a place and you're not in the planning phase, you're in a place and you're like, ah, this, this is a lot. This is a lot, big fella. Right? Then I'm going to give you a little on-ramp. Can I give you a little on-ramp? Just a little on-ramp. Go to growth track. Go to growth track. Don't take your phone out. You know who you are. I'll close my eyes. No judgment. You haven't been through growth track, and you need to go through growth track. Specifically, you need to go through growth track, step two. Step one is good. But step two, step two is the meat of the moment to help you discover your unique gifts and your unique callings and your unique wiring so that you can get on the path that God has for you. Now, if you respond to the call to action, guess what? You're gonna make a greater impact in the world. You are, you are. And you're gonna enjoy your work more. You're gonna enjoy your work more because it'll be a calling and not a job. It'll be a calling and not a job. And guess what? I believe through that faithfulness, meeting the faithfulness of God, eventually you're going to earn more so that you can make more of an impact in the world. And if you don't respond to this call to action, well, you know the answer to that. You're going to remain feeling anxious, entrapped, entrapped. But perhaps worst of all, you're going to be one of the many, many people who have come and gone through this world with the question, what if, ringing in their mind. And I don't want to leave the world wondering if I poured it all out <laughs> and if God got my best and, and if I made a difference in the world in which I live. God wants to lead you to a path, listen, lead you to a path from just getting by to leaving a legacy. He wants to lead you on a path from just getting by to leaving a legacy, but you have to get on it. So here's how we're going to close our time. I'm going to pray a prayer together as an act of faith in that direction. We're going to pray it out loud. This is not call and response. I want you to read it with me as we go along. I'll set the pace. So fast talkers, slow down. God, I ask that you would search me and know my heart. Come on. And point out anything in me that offends you and that you would create in me a pure heart. I choose to affirm that you are the Lord and master of my life and that money will be a servant to fulfill your purposes and calling in my life. May my trust always be in you, regardless of how much or how little money I have in my bank account. When times are lean and when there is an abundance, Help me always be aware that you are the provider of all my needs. May I be content with, thankful for, and aware of the blessings you have provided me. I pray that I would learn the secret of being content in any situation. I pray that you would provide an abundance 
for every good work I do. And I ask for wisdom to steward what you have entrusted to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you believe it, let's shout before the Lord as we close our time. Amen. Amen.